Okay, um, well, I'm very excited to be starting a new series today. And for the first time ever in Jubilee, we have two new series starting at once. So I'm starting a series uh, called Devoted, and then Simon Clay is going to be starting a series next week, uh, going through the book of Habakkuk uh, with various other people from the teaching team. So we're very excited about this. Uh, just feel like it's the right thing for us to do to have two things going on at once. You're going to get double trouble and double blessing as well. So I'm going to be talking about uh, this theme of devoted. We're going to be talking about devoted. And uh, I feel like God is calling us at this time to a new place of devotion to him. He's calling us closer. He's calling us to a place of intimacy and power. And I think we're going to find some breakthroughs in this series and some freedom too. I think that's what God has for us. Because devotion, being devoted is not about working harder, it is about coming closer. And that's the invitation from God, an invitation from the Father that we're going to need to respond to. And uh, But before I get to that, I, I just, I, I've got to be honest with you, I've had a bit of a wrestle with God this week. Um, if you ever preach, you'll, you'll know this feeling because he wants me to talk about something and I, I want to get on with the devotion series. But he's just spoken to me so clearly this week and the arm wrestled me into a corner so that even at three o'clock on Friday, I still didn't have anything to say. And so finally I give in and say, OK, God, what do you want? And he says, I want you to deal with what undermines devotion before we talk about devotion. He says, I want you to deal with the subject of disappointment. Because you see, there's very little use in trying to build something without clearing the ground first. There's some stuff that needs, needs to be cleared away. Because disappointment is something we all face. I mean, everyone, anyone who's ever done anything will at some point have to confront this issue of disappointment. And it's, it's, like, it's not like you can deal with it just once and then it's settled. You know, wouldn't that be great if I was ne- I'll deal with it really well today and I'll never have to deal with it again. I'll never get disappointed again. Unfortunately, it's not the case. We need to learn to deal with it as a matter of course. It's an ongoing thing that we need to learn about. Because as I look around the wider scene, I see too many people falling away for too little. I see people offended by God as I travel around. I see more and more people disillusioned with the church, battling with disappointment. And there's so many of these people that I meet, they they started out so good. They started out great. They started with these great hopes and their expectations. You know, these are people that have been involved in planting churches, going on, going abroad to the to mission fields, stepping out and praying for the sick, starting businesses, great steps of faith. But then disappointment comes, and disappointment takes a stranglehold on their lives, on their ministries, on their on their hopes, on their dreams, and now they're angry with God. And you might not even know it because they're so polite, but you sense the withdrawal. There's a withdrawing from the purposes of God. That initial excitement, that hope has been dashed. And they withdraw slowly at first, and then finally they just shut down. 
Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, because you know Jesus offended a lot of people. Did you know that? He offended his disciples, and at one point, everybody it looks like they're going to leave him. You know, I don't know if you've ever... Just that feeling of everybody's going to leave me because I'm going to upset them all. I kind of live with that. I kind of wonder, is anybody going to turn up next week sometimes, you know? You just live with that sense. But Jesus did it all the time. And as he turns to his disciples, the 12, he says, are you going to leave me too? And I don't think he was just saying that as a kind of manipulation. I think there's a genuine, they could possibly leave me too. And then, of course, at the cross, they all deserted him, didn't they? Are you going to leave me too? Offense. Offense so often leading to disappointment leads to withdrawal. Will you also leave me? And it seems like many of us will face this question at some point or other in our Christian walk. And I felt like God said to me this week, he says, the key to devotion is in how willing we are to deal with our pain and disappointment. It's the key. It's the foundation of devotion. We can't be devoted if we don't deal with our disappointment. So, look, my object today is not to make you feel bad uh, or to make you feel more disappointed than you felt before you came. Uh, I want to highlight this issue and then I want to give you some tools to clear the ground and to equip you for the future, for whatever life throws at you. For whatever life throws at us as a community, as a community of believers, so that we will be those who grow together as resilient in faith. I don't want us to just be bashed around and one little thing comes and we're all devastated. I want us to be resilient, to have that bounce back, because our faith in God and his goodness is greater than our dealing with disappointment. We've got to have a big view of a big God. And even if we don't understand everything that happens, that we can cling on to him anyway. I want us to build a kind of resilience into our faith. But at the same time, I believe that there's some healing for people today. I really do. I believe that's already started in the worship. I'm so encouraged with John's word, which hadn't been pre-planned. It just confirmed what I was feeling about disappointment, that God wants to deal with that, wants to bring some healing and some freedom and a more robust faith. So I'm just going to pray and then I'm I'm just going to get into it. Can we just stand together a moment? I want you to just put your hands out and say, Holy Spirit, after me. I know it's not the Church of England, but every now and again it's useful to do this. Holy Spirit, come and teach me today. Put your finger on whatever you want to put your finger on. And I acknowledge your lordship in my life. Come, Holy Spirit, and set me free. By the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, there's no doubt about it at all. If you had any doubts... I just want to clear them up right now that Jesus is totally and utterly good news. He is such good news. The promise of Jesus is true. It's faithful. He promises peace. 
and we can have peace, even in difficult times. He's, he is the spirit of joy. In his presence, there is fullness of joy, which isn't related to circumstances. He's joyful all the time. He's never dismal. He's never grumpy. He's never unhappy because all around Jesus is joy. That's what it's like in heaven. In heavenly places, it's a place of joy. It's a place of the manifest presence of God. And we can connect with that. We are heavenly citizens. We are seated in that with Christ. That's our occupation. That's our home address now is in Christ, in heavenly places. This is really good news. I mean, the simple fact that God loves us. I mean, that's what I was overwhelmed with in the, in the worship. You might have heard me shouting and getting a little bit excited. That's okay, you know, to get excited. It's just that overwhelming sense. You love me. You love me. That is just the most mind-blowing, amazing fact that God loves me and everything else. Nothing else matters, actually, if you know that God loves you. And the thing that will sustain you in hard times, more than anything, and I know for me, I've been to that place where the only thing I've known is that he loves me. And somehow, I love him, despite what's happening, despite what's going on. He loves us. And the evidence of the fact is that he sent Jesus. There's evidence for his love. He said, God so loved the world, he sent his only son. That's the evidence that Jesus came, that he died, that he laid down his life so that we can have life. We can have peace with God. We really can, whatever our circumstances. And we have a guaranteed inheritance in heaven, eternal security, healing, joy, answers to prayer, change life, all these things. And there are so many benefits, some of which we've experienced You haven't even touched the full extent of what you can experience of the benefits that there are in Christ. As we were hearing earlier about our inheritance in Christ. It's going to take the whole of eternity to even begin to understand the full extent of what he's done for us. Amen. We've got so much more to go for it and we're going to go for it. But at the same time, Jesus never promised us from the day that we're saved that life would suddenly get really easy. He never said, follow me and I'll make you really comfortable. He never promised to make us rich. He never promised us that we would never get sick. Follow me and you will never suffer hardship, persecution, hunger and loss. He never said any of those things. He never promised any of those things. Actually, It seems like he often said the complete opposite of all that I've just said. He says, you need to take up your cross, that instrument of torture, and you need to follow me. He says, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble in this world for you. He didn't even always promise protection for us. He says, you're going to suffer. Some of you seated here, he said, on one occasion, you're going to die for your faith. Some of you seated here are going to die. He said religious people would beat us. Anybody? He says our families would be against us. And just in case he missed anybody out, he said everyone will hate us. (laughs) So that's not one to put on your fridge, is it? Jesus says everyone's going to hate me. You don't put that on your fridge. But that's what he said. And this is what he said. So how have we got it so wrong? How have we got it so wrong? Why have we grown such weak and feeble faith that the first thing that happens, we crumple and say, God doesn't love me. 
the first thing we come up against, we run away and hide and we don't want to go to church anymore because somebody upset me. We don't want to be Christians anymore because I didn't get better when he said I would get better. Where did we get it so wrong? Where have we got the idea that becoming a Christian means all our problems are sorted and we drift through life on a cloud? Why do so many people feel so justified in their disappointment with God when things get difficult or don't work out as they should be? Or how we would like them to be? My friend Simon Holly wrote in his book, Sustainable Power, the answer to this question is because many of us especially in the West, live with a false sense of entitlement towards God. And he writes these words, he says, I used to base my whole life on the foundation that God owed me something. It led to disappointment, disillusionment and near suicidal thoughts. And then I had a revelation from the book of Romans. It says, the wages of sin is death. And I realized I deserve to die. I am going to die, and I deserve it, and God owes me nothing. It's our death. And the truth is that many of us, including me, have adopted the entitlement mindset. And it says that in being a Christian, that means that I'm entitled to a quiet life without any trouble. And you may have even voiced these thoughts, but despite what Jesus says, we've come to expect, even demand, a materialistic paradise where we get everything that we want. That we get the house with the picket fence, we get the perfect partner with the perfect marriage. Some of us have got that, obviously, but others not so much. The car of our dreams. The car of our dreams, which never goes wrong. No sickness, no tears and no death. That's my philosophy. That's what it means to be a Christian. I mean, perhaps you can identify some of those traits in yourself. I really can. I really can. But we've believed a lie that unravels when we are reminded of the full extent of our own sinfulness and depravity before God. And then when we come to terms with that, I don't even know how we can, we begin to face the uncomfortable reality, I actually don't deserve anything. We're not owed anything because Jesus has already given us everything. (laughs) And our sense of entitlement we see it's it's crumbling before us because we see it's based on a false foundation. So does that mean then, so we just go around morbidly expecting everything to go wrong then? Is Is that the right approach? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that we shouldn't have any expectations, that we adopt a poverty mindset where we shuffle through life apologetically? I've met some of those Christians, anybody, some of the most miserable people in the world are those types of Christians. No, Jesus says to ask and to have faith, but he tells us that there's a battle going on. 
He tells us that there's a battle going on. Does it mean that we should just accept hardship and difficult circumstances? Whatever will be, will be. No, Jesus tells us to pray and to use the weapons of our warfare to pull down strongholds, which are mighty in God. Does that mean that we should do nothing to alleviate sickness or suffering? Of course not. The Bible is full of commands. Heal the sick, care for the poor, believe, believe, step in, pull on God, grab the hem of his garment as he's going on away don't let him pass by of course how do we live with that tension see we want it all in a little clear box don't we one plus one equals two but it doesn't work like that we live in this tension this world of the it's coming but it's not here yet we're living in between worlds and we've got to pull from the future into the present that's what jesus is saying about it's not all here yet We've still got to press in. We've still got to persevere. We've still got to pray. We've still got to believe. We've got to get up again when we fall down. Resilience. Bounce back. I realized, you know, early on I saw loads of people healed. You know, I I prayed for people and I saw some amazing miracles. I've seen some amazing miracles. When I was four years old, I saw my first miracle of somebody getting up and walking. For years, for me... Healing was easy. And then I started to hit up against some stuff. And then I realized that actually doing healing as a ministry, actually it's better to do teaching. The results are clearer. It's much easier to teach. If I don't pray for the sick, I'm not going to get disappointed. So I started to withdraw. And then God's put his finger on it. He says, why are you not praying for the sick anymore? Why are you not? Because... I'm disappointed with you, Lord. I stepped out so many times and you let me down. I will pray for anybody who's sick that heals them. (laughs) And I know it's his responsibility, not mine. But I still have to battle with the disappointment every time because my faith is there. I'm believing God for greater things than we've ever seen. But you know what I found? It just means I have to pray for more people to see it. And I found myself saying, Lord, will you send us more sick people so we can practice on them? (laughs) Sorry, uh, that's just how I'm feeling at the moment. I feel like God's challenging me on that. Anyway, I've lost my train of thought. So it doesn't mean that we don't live in that tension, that we don't... Still persevere, still press in. We've got to keep doing that. But what it does mean is that we have a different attitude, a different understanding of the good things that we do have. Not from a sense of entitlement. It means that every good thing we experience here on earth is not an entitlement. It's not. It's, it's just a continual apportionment of his unending grace. It's a free sample of what is yet to come, of his goodness, of his mercy. These are given to us as, as love kisses, reminders of his love and his faithfulness towards us. But we are not entitled to them. It's his grace. The fact that we can live in peace, that we can eat, that we can be safe, we can be happy... They're apportionments of his grace. When did you last thank him for that? How many of us just get grumpy about the stuff we haven't had yet? Be honest. 
I believe God's calling us to a place of thankfulness. It's actually an antidote to disappointment is when we're thankful. Practice thankfulness. But none of these things, these good things that we have are owed to us. Because you see, grace means that we don't get what we deserve. Paul says you deserve death and eternal separation from God. Grace means that we don't get what we deserve. And this realization should fill us with an overflow of thanks and praise for every good thing. For every friendship, for shelter, for every financial provision and blessing. Our sense of entitlement to these things is what makes us prone to only remember these daily blessings when we in fact lose them. And then we mourn these days of grace. Because we don't live with a thankful heart for the good that we experience now when we've lost them, when we're ill when we're in need, when we're insecure, it's only then that we can see what it was like. Oh, I remember what it was like in Egypt. We had food to eat. We felt safe. Before you know it, disappointment drags you back to a place where you're distanced from God. But God does. He provides for us again and again. We have, what we have, the Bible says, is given to us by a loving Heavenly Father who richly provides us with everything for enjoyment, for our enjoyment. But as followers of Jesus, we're instructed to hold these things lightly and not give in to a worldly spirit of entitlement that leads to disappointment. Does any of that make any sense to you? Do, do you get that? Am I, is it just me that struggles with this? Okay, so let's deal with entitlement, shall we? Let's deal with it right now. Let's not wait till afterwards when we go home and have dinner. Let's deal with it right now. Um, Because if we don't deal with entitlement, we will have to deal then with disappointment. So let's just stop for a minute and deal with it and let God uh, set us free from this sense of entitlement. I want us to pray together. And I've written it up on the screen so that you can read it with me. Let's just stand together. I don't think any of us should be excluded from this. I think we all, in the West particularly, we struggle with this. And let's just pray this prayer together and ask God to forgive us for giving in to a spirit of entitlement. Okay? You okay with this? Be excited. God's going to set you free. Here we go. One, two, three. Father, please forgive me for the wrong thinking that says I'm entitled to anything more than you've already done in sending Jesus and dealing with my sin. I repent of believing the lie of entitlement because, God, you don't owe me anything. I choose from any false contracts I have sought to make with you. I choose instead to live with a grateful heart And I thank you for every good thing you've allowed to me in this life by your grace. Just take a moment right there. Let's just pause and just take a moment to thank God for all of his benefits. Just right where you are. Just let a spirit of thankfulness come and replace a spirit of entitlement. Just start to speak out to him where you are. You might want to thank him for your home, your family. Just thank him, the blessings, the daily blessings.
Thank you, Jesus. Let a wave of thanksgiving spring up in your heart. Talking about the bubbling up of the Spirit earlier in the worship. This is how it starts, just thankful. Just thankfulness. Just turn to the person behind you and tell them two things that you're thanking God for right now. (laughs) Just speak it out. It's powerful to speak things out. Amen. Okay, do take your seats again. Entitlement. Entitlement is at the root of disappointment. So if anyone has ever felt entitled, they will have to deal with disappointment at some point in their life. And it sounds like this. God, you let me down. You didn't do what I asked You didn't protect me or heal me. You didn't answer that prayer. You didn't intervene in my family. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. And so on. All kinds of ways that we can get disappointed with God. So any of us who've ever dreamed or hoped will at some point have to deal with disappointment. So how do we deal with that? I want to give you five steps for dealing with disappointment right now. And they're all going to come up. Some of you will remember this because we looked at this last year. Uh, Five different steps. First one is be honest with yourself. We're going to look at this in a bit more detail in a minute. Be honest with yourself. Own up. Fess up. Yeah, I'm disappointed. Secondly, change your mind about it. Thirdly, lay down your right to understand. Fourthly, simplify your theology. And finally, make yourself accountable. We're just going to just going to take you through this now. And what I want to do is, as we go along, we are going to deal with some of it as we go along together. All right. But I do appreciate that for some people, they're going to need to work through this a bit more in detail. They're going to need to just uh, process some of the emotion of the disappointment. So at the end, we're also going to give an opportunity for people to have some uh, ministry. We've got a, a team of people who are ready and willing and able. Uh, to come and stand with you as you work through some of this. But I just feel a a, a compelling sense of God's spirit on us to sort some stuff out. Okay, so that's where we're going to go now. So let's look at the first one. Be honest with yourself, because you see, the truth is that we have all been disappointed at some time or other. And actually, disappointment is not just a symptom of entitlement. It comes as a result of having faith that has not found its answer. You know, disappointment is where you've believed for something and not got it, or you've hoped in vain and it's not happened. Anybody? If for any reason you've had any expectation, if you didn't have any expectations, you wouldn't get disappointed, of course, which is why some Christians choose to live like that. Don't have any expectations. Don't try to do anything. Don't try to believe for anything. Just shut down and I won't get disappointed. It's a defense mechanism and they withdraw from God. So we've all struggled 
with disappointment. So let's just get real and honest. Because sometimes it's because we're so well trained as good Christians that we never really express this. Some of us are just too good to get mad. Too good to express any real emotion about how we feel. We button it up, we stiff up a lip and all the rest. And especially in front of one another. How many times do you ask people, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm absolutely fine. Is your family at the moment? You've just lied. I said, hold on, somebody just told me that you're having a really tough time in your family at the moment. You've just lied to me. <laughs> this happens as a regular event. <laughs> we just fake it, don't we? We're not real. We're not honest with one another. Uh, Simon Holly, uh, who I quoted from earlier, he challenged me a few years ago because how many people know that church leaders go through hard times sometimes? And it's bizarre, isn't it? Because it's the best job in the world and your employer is eternally amazing. <laughs> but sometimes you go through a tough time. And Simon Holly says, I think you need to express some of the anger that you're feeling right now. Oh, no, I couldn't. In front of you? I'm not feeling angry. I've, I just love everybody. I think they're all amazing and I just pray for them, you know. That's the worst thing a church leader can do is to pray for you when you're angry, when he's angry. So uh, I couldn't deal with it then. I couldn't express the emotion. I couldn't process it. It actually came a few weeks later. The challenge was what I needed to start to adjust. Yeah, I do actually need to deal with this. It's kind of clogging me up. Anybody feel like that, ever felt like that? I actually need to express some stuff that I've been holding in. Anybody feel like that? Be honest. I'm encouraging you to be honest right now. Just put your hand up to say, anybody been feeling like that recently? I just need to express some stuff I've been bottling up, holding it up, trying to be a good Christian. But we need to... See, what then happens is quite often we'll get into the situation, we go and talk to other people. We get and talk behind people's back. That's how we're dealing with our disappointment. That's not good. That's not healthy. What I found time and time again when you help people is that actually they're, although the symptom is you're complaining to me, actually you're angry with God. But it's easier to talk to me or to somebody else. We need to express our disappointment to God about God. Express your feelings of frustration and pain. Don't worry, you're not going to shock him. He already knows. He hears everything you say and everything you think and everything you feel. He knows it all. And the Psalms are full of examples of it. So be honest with the one who already knows everything. What I generally find is when I start to confess things to God, he says, yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, but Lord, I thought I was doing it so well. Yeah, but I know. I still love you. <laughs> Amen? The one who knows everything. Lay it at his feet. So let's just pray something together, shall we? Let's just stand again. You don't have to. If you don't have a problem with disappointment, that's absolutely fine. But we're just going to work through these steps together. And as I say, at the end, there's going to be opportunity to do it with other people. Let's just pray this prayer together. It's very short and simple. Okay, here goes. Father, I'm so disappointed with you about. Now just fill that in yourself, in your mind. Bring it to him now. Bring that to him.
There might be a very long list, but we're going to move on. <laughs> Here we go. You didn't come through for me. And you've not answered. That hurts, God. And I need to tell you about it. Amen. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Just take your seats. That's step one. Let's look at step two. The first one is just be honest. Just be honest with God. Do you know there's a sense in which God has been waiting for you just to be honest with him? Because then he can act. Secondly, change your mind about it, the thing you're disappointed about. Our focus in disappointment is often on the problem we've experienced and the shortfall as we perceive it in what God has failed to do. Um, Last year sometime, Paul Norris used a really great illustration uh, on one occasion, a number of occasions, but this was particularly good, I thought. When he talked about how we need to learn to recognize the everyday miracles. Do you remember that? You know, so, so often these things go unnoticed and our focus is on the disappointment. And he, and he used the illustration of the children of Israel that they've been grumbling in the desert about the heat about the food, about the leaders, and so on. And he pointed out that he'd missed the everyday blessing that their clothes never wore out. They never got old. And actually, they never were without food, and they had something to drink. He never noticed that, because they were complaining about all the other stuff. Of course, if that happened to us, and our clothes never wore out, we'd probably complain, because we're not in fashion anymore, or something like that. But we need to choose, when we recognize our disappointments, we need to choose to change our minds. Having got the disappointment out, laid it on the floor before God, we now need to take a hard look at the disappointment and decide to repent of our negative focus and choose instead to look beyond our disappointment for the everyday miracles of what God has done. And in so doing, we actually magnify him. We actually magnify and attract the good that he has done in our lives. And when we start to thank him for it, it unlocks spiritual significance and blessing for us. So I want us to do that. Let's do that. Let's do step two together. You ready? You know the drill. Let's stand up and let's pray this together. Okay, here goes. Father... My disappointment has so filled my gaze that I fail to see the good that you are and all that you've done. Please forgive me. I choose to see the everyday miracles where you have provided for me. Thank you, Father, for all your benefits. Just do that. Just thank him now. Thank him for the everyday miracles. I know we've already done it. Let's do it again. We're practicing. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for continual provision. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for peace and security. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, take a seat. Step three. This one is the hardest one for me. It's called lay down your right to understand. (sighs) Another strand of entitlement is the belief that we should be able to work out what's in God's mind. 
when things don't go the way that we think they should. We should be able to work it out somehow. I mean, we've all read, quoted, and fixed to our walls the text, haven't we? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your thoughts, and my thoughts, sorry, higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, one of my favorite verses. And this is... uh, This is a challenge because at the same time we face the impenetrable confusion that can sometimes be life. And we don't think this word, this verse actually applies to us. Uh, We love that verse, we put it on the wall and we give it to other people when they're going through a hard time. But we don't apply it to ourselves because there's this innate arrogance that I should be able to work it all out. Or is that just me? I'm just being honest with you. Um, But the lie that I should or must understand or that God is in some way answerable to me and must give a reason why bad things happen to good people has got to be laid down if we're going to deal with our disappointment. And this act of humility actually is what is required to set us free. The right to hold God to our account must be released if we're ever going to trust him and be childlike in his presence again. You know, some of us have lost our joy in serving precisely because of this. We've never laid down our right to understand. We need to put some things at his feet. I just don't understand. I don't get it, but I'm going to trust you anyway. Should we stand and do that? Now, you might want to read this before you say it, so I'll just give you a moment. Now, if you're still happy to pray this, Because it is right to be serious about what we're praying right now. Let's just pray this together then, if you're up for it. Father, I don't understand everything, but I accept that you do, and that you've got this. So I'm deciding today that I will trust you with it. Amen. Holy Spirit, will you just come on us right now? Just breathe on us fresh freedom. Would you bring healing right now where we need it? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Take a seat. The fourth one is this. We need to simplify our theology. Um, I could say a lot about this, but then I wouldn't be simplifying my theology. (laughs) You know, when people face incurable illness and pain, whenever whenever people face loss or suffering, whenever something bad happens to them, more often than not, you'll face the question, why me or why them? Or point the finger and say, it must be because of this. You know, the disciples did this. Who sinned, this man or his father? Neither. (laughs) You got it wrong, guys. I just wanted to show my glory. 
but you face these kinds of questions and all kinds of theological knots and confusion arises. And the book of Job actually is full of all the usual arguments that get thrown at you when you go through hard times and the wrong thoughts that we think. And what's the conclusion of the book? None of you are right or understand. You read the book of Job, that's where you get to the end. None of you get it. It's not possible to understand. So we need to lay down our right to understand and simplify our theology to say just one thing. God, you're always good, but sometimes life just sucks. That's the theology. Let's just say that together. Let's have that up on the screen. This is the next prayer. (laughs) Here we go. You don't even need to stand for this. Ready? God, you're always good, but sometimes life just sucks. Please be close to me today. See, Jesus never promised us it would be easy, but he says, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. So, Lord, please be close to me today. And finally, make yourself accountable. Whenever we go through hard times and face questions, there will always be a temptation to return to a previous way of thinking and get caught again in the trap of disappointment. When things are still not clear, when we still don't know, when something like it happens again, and we need each other. You know, God has placed us in communities so that we don't have to do it completely alone. And your friends may not be able to help you. They might not understand either. They may not have any answers, perhaps not even been able to truly empathize. There are things that people go through in life that I have no comprehension of. We had a family come into us in the storehouse, and as soon as they walked through the door, they were full of tears. And then they started to share their story about how they'd been tortured in prison for three years. And this man had watched his close friends uh, murdered in front of him, and they had to escape and run for their lives. I hadn't a clue what to say. I had no platitudes. I had no encouragement I could give them, really, other than to cry and just express love to them. Sometimes people go through stuff. I just, I can't even get my head around that. I can't empathize, but I'm here for you. I'll walk through it with you. I'll pay some cost with you. I'll cry with you. We need to stand with one another sometimes. That's all we can do. And we can stand with people and remind them of of the risk of getting disappointed and help people to process some of the pain. That's something that we can do for one another. And help people to come close to God and know his nearness, even in difficult times. Now, it, it often strikes me that I think, well, we don't know absolutely certainly, but all of the disciples, bar one, we think, died for their faith in the end. That's some statistic, isn't it? We need one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to remind one another that despite the circumstances, God is good. And that he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. And ultimately, he loves us so much that he wants us with him for eternity. Ultimately. Amen? I mean, the main thing in standing together is not to try and give answers or make any judgments. 
We need to be people who just love unconditionally and believe the best in us and for us. So this is the final step. Make yourself accountable. Have those relationships. Be vulnerable. And I just want you to think on this last one. Who might that be? Who is that person or people in your life? Who is that trusted friend that partners with you? It could be your husband and wife, but that can sometimes be a little bit too easy. Sometimes you need somebody just slightly outside of that or slightly outside of your close friendship group. Somebody in your life who knows stuff about you and loves you anyway. We need that in our lives. Think about that. Or maybe it's in your life group. Maybe you can develop that in your group that you can actually be that honest with one another and say, I'm really going through a hard time and I'm at risk of getting disappointed. I need you to help me. I need to process some of this with you. Amen? But think about who that might be. Okay, so we've, we're done. Those are the five steps. Um, and I just want to sum up and ask you this question. Are you a devoted follower of Jesus? Or are you just an admirer in the crowd? <laughs> now, there's a cost to following him. And the question is whether we're willing to pay. And I want to encourage you, don't lose your radical edge because some things have gone wrong. Jesus said that's what was going to happen and that we're in a battle and we're going to need to persevere into his promises. Some of us have faced some real disappointments in life, some real hardships and trials, and I don't want to minimize any of that. I hope you don't hear that in anything that I've said today. But we do need to put it into a biblical context. Jesus told us this would happen. And that we would all face hard things. Actually, I think that as a country, we've been quite well protected. If you read some of the warnings that Jesus has made to his disciples, we have had it pretty good. Amen. I'm not saying that to just be glib and, you know, whatever. But let's be thankful and let's continue to pray. God, keep us as a country. Let's pray for our nation you know, it's what it says, pray for those that are in authority that we might live peaceful lives so that the gospel can prosper. And we need to give thanks to God for the good and lay a sense aside our sense of entitlement. Uh, and contrary to what it might feel like, that laying aside of entitlement actually leads to freedom. We can be free. But bring your disappointment to God. That's the message today. Bring it to him. Don't even blame anybody else. Ultimately, the blame is always God, even if we dress it up in more respectable clothing. So I want to encourage you, deal with your disappointment as a matter of course, starting today, freeing you to hope and to believe again. Amen.